Well, thank you all for worshiping through singing and through praying, and now we're going to spend some time worshiping through the Word together. Uh, we're going to look at some of Joshua 24. So if you have your Bible and want to go ahead and open up there, we'll be in Joshua 24 in the Old Testament. That'll be our primary text today. Now, we get out a listening outline, a pen, so you can write some things in along the way. And as you do that, uh, let me just say welcome to those of you in the contemporary service, those of you joining us online or on television. I'm glad that you can be with us as well. Um, also, before we start, I, I want to acknowledge uh, that Dr. McCoy, our lead pastor, is not here today. Uh, the reason is his mother-in-law, Beverly's mom, passed away last week. And so they are in North Carolina for that memorial service and with family there. Um, they know uh, they are loved and cared for by this church family. They're thankful for that. Um, of course, it's never easy to lose a parent. Um, but Beverly's mom had placed her faith in Christ. She was a follower of Jesus. And so they are very much comforted by the fact that she is now at home with the Lord. And his plan is to, to be back this week. I know they would appreciate your prayers uh, today. Um, we're going to look at, as I said, part of Joshua 24. And with it being Father's Day, I want to uh, apply it particularly to dads. Uh, but what we're going to see is relevant to all of us, and especially any of you that have any sort of influence within your family. Uh, I think this passage will be an encouragement to us. And I want to start with something that we learned last week as we talked about being a multi-generational church with a next generation orientation. One of the things we learned from scripture was this. Would you write it in? That responsibility for teaching and training the next generation is given primarily to parents and grandparents. It's not given exclusively to them. Uh, the church has a role to play as well. In fact, we saw that in the Bible last week, that within the church, older men should teach younger men and older women should train younger women. And so the church has an important role to play. Which means then that the task of passing on the faith to the next generation isn't solely the responsibility of parents and grandparents, but it is primarily the responsibility of parents and grandparents within the family. One of the places we see that, it's all throughout the Bible, but one of the places is in Deuteronomy 4. It says, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, all this that you know about the Lord up to this point. He says, make them known to your children and your children's children. He's saying within the family then, there's a responsibility for parents and grandparents to pass on the faith, to teach your children and grandchildren truth about the Lord. And that really helps us understand then the role of parenting why God designed it that the way why he designed it the way that he did would you write this in it tells us that the primary purpose of parenting is to make disciples that's the primary purpose of parenting is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God there are a couple of questions that I found helpful that kind of get at that, that kind of help me check my own heart and stay on track here. So would you write this in? One question that might be helpful as we think about our purpose is this. What is my goal for my children? I mean, have you actually thought about that? Do you have a goal for them? It's possible, I guess, to just sort of go through life and not have much of a goal at all, have no real purpose in it. You're just sort of living life and parenting. What's your goal? 
Another way we could put it, this is how a parent worded it to me one time. We were talking about this issue of really what's the purpose of parenting, getting at the heart of it. He said he asked himself this question. I really like it. What am I parenting toward? Truth is you're parenting toward something. Even if you haven't thought much about it, even if it's not an intentional goal, you have influence in your family. You're leading your children in one direction or another. You're leading them towards something. So what is it? And what should it be? What are you parenting them toward? See, a biblical view of parenting points us towards some intentionality in our parenting. It's a parenting with purpose. And specifically the purpose of making disciples. It's to raise children that know and love and follow Jesus with their whole hearts. That's our God-given biblical purpose in our parenting. And what's we'll a seen example of that type of intentionality and sort of God-oriented parenting? It's an example we find in the life of a man named Joshua in the Old Testament. And here's a little bit of the background of what we're going to see. You may remember that early in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. They'd been there a long time. And God sent someone named Moses to lead them out. It's what we call the Exodus. And God gave them their freedom. And not only that, he led them toward the promised land, this amazing place that he had given them to live as his people. And just before they crossed over into the promised land, Moses died and Joshua succeeded him. He became the new leader of God's people. And he led them into the promised land, just as God had said. And they went in and they were experiencing that blessing. They were embracing this gift from the Lord. And it's with that background that we read in chapter 24, verse 6, what something the Lord says. He really starts recounting that history that I've just summarized. The Lord says to his people, he says, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Now, it just said he used Moses in that process. He worked through certain means, but he makes it clear, ultimately, he's the one that has done this for his people. He says, I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Verse 8 says, Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hands. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I wouldn't listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. The leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. No, notice verse 13. He says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored. And cities that you had not built, and now you dwell in them. 
You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. It's quite a history, isn't it? He's recounting all that he had done for them and giving them this life of freedom and now this amazing new home where they would live and enjoy that blessing and they would be his people and he would be their God. It's an amazing history of his goodness and faithfulness and love toward his people and shows his plans for them and how good those plans are, how much he wants to bless them. And that's really important for the the challenge that was about to be issued to them and to us. So here's the lesson for us from these verses. Would you write it in? That when choosing a direction for our lives and our families, we should remember God's goodness and faithfulness. See, he's about to call them to choose who they're gonna worship, who's gonna be their God, the one true God or idols. Before he issues that challenge, there's this reminder from the Lord about how good he's been to them how he's put his power to work on their behalf, how good his plans are for them. And we need to remember that about the Lord, his goodness, his faithfulness for us. Now that would certainly include what God has done for us in Christ, his goodness and faithfulness that we see expressed in Jesus, centered in his death and resurrection. We need to remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, won't perish, but will have eternal life. We need to remember that in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We need to remember that Jesus said when he came, he said, look, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it forever. That's what I want for you. We need to remember that as we hear the challenge that comes next. Joshua then said to the people, now therefore... That should get our attention. Now, therefore, he's referring to what has just been said. He's saying, keep that in mind. Keep in mind God's goodness and faithfulness. Look around at the land you're now living in and enjoying that he just gave to you as a gift. Think about the freedom that you now have in Christ. For us today, he would say, now, therefore, in light of all that, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. It's a way of saying with your whole heart, with everything you are. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and instead serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, if for some reason that option's not appealing to you, you say, no, I don't wanna serve the true God. He says, then you've got to decide which false God you're going to serve. So he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, well, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell. So in light of everything the Lord has done, in light of all that we know about him and his goodness and his faithfulness and now what he's done for us in Christ, what's the appropriate response to that? Well, he tells us here, he says, in light of all that, fear the Lord. Have an awe and a humble reverence before him as almighty God. Fear him and serve or worship him and do it with your whole heart, with everything you are, with everything you've got. Write it in, put it this way. 
The right response to God's grace is to be fully devoted to him. To orient your entire life around him. To look to him as your ultimate authority and say, God, you really are my God. As David said in Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. And you look to him as your ultimate authority then to determine your values and priorities and your understanding of what's right and wrong. You're saying, God, you determine all of that for me. How I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I treat other people, all that's gonna be determined by you. You are my God. He says, that's the appropriate response to who God is. His goodness, his faithfulness toward his people. To be fully devoted to him. Of course, even Joshua acknowledges not everybody lives like that. He points out some of their ancestors didn't. Some of their ancestors worshiped idols, false gods. And the people in the culture they were currently living in, he says, they're gonna worship idols too. I mean, you're gonna see it all around you. As a result, you're gonna see people that live differently. They have different values and different understanding of what's right and wrong and different priorities. It's a whole different way of life. That's certainly true for us today as well. There are all sorts of false gods in our culture. I mean, some of the common ones might be things like money or power or sex, or comfort, fame, popularity. Your own children can easily become an idol in your life. They're great. We'll talk about them a little bit more in a minute, but they're not God. In fact, that's often what can happen is we take these really good gifts from the Lord and we make them ultimate in our lives. And as a result, then we orient our entire lives around them. We, in effect, begin serving these other things. They become our masters. They determine how we live. Those are idols. Joshua acknowledges, and that's all around you. He says, don't do that. Don't serve those false gods. He's saying, you gotta choose. Given everything you know about the Lord, you're really going to serve him. That's what he's encouraging here, but acknowledging, yeah, there are people who live differently all around you. And because of that, then, if you choose to serve the Lord, you're going to be different from a lot of other people. You're going to be different from the culture around you. You're going to sort of be swimming upstream in a lot of ways. You're going to feel out of place a lot of the time. That's what the Bible calls holiness. The Lord's very honest with us about that, that we're called to a life of holiness. He says that directly. He says, be holy because I'm holy. In other words, God himself is saying, look, I'm different from all those other false gods. And so if you serve me, you're gonna end up looking different from those people who serve other gods. It's a life of holiness that we're called to. And so here Joshua just acknowledges that and he says, you gotta choose. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to fear God and serve him only and put away all the other false gods? Look at what he says next. He poses the challenge. And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua made his decision. He says to everybody else, look, you've got to choose. 
And I'm encouraging you in a certain direction. He's very open about that. He's saying, serve the Lord, fear him. But then he says, whatever you decide, as for me and my family, we're gonna serve the Lord. And regardless of what other people do and the culture we're now living in, regardless of how they live and what their values are, regardless of what other families do and how they raise their kids, regardless of any of that, I've made my choice. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And notice it wasn't just him, was it? He says it's for me and my house, for me and my family. Why? Because Joshua recognized the God-given authority and leadership and influence he had in his family. And he here is saying, I'm going to use all of that God-given authority and leadership to lead my family in a certain way. And it's to serve and fear the Lord. And so as parents, it's not just about you being fully devoted to the Lord, although that is certainly true. You should be. But you've got a God-given responsibility to exercise spiritual leadership in the home, in the family, and to point your entire family toward Jesus. To say with Joshua, as for me and my family, we're going to serve and worship and fear the Lord. So would you write this in? Our spiritual leadership involves teaching our children by our words and our example. We have to have both. If you don't have words, then your example won't be understood. If you don't have an example, your words won't have any credibility. So we teach our children by both our words and our example how to love God, how to trust God, and how to obey God's commands. And that gets right back at the heart and the purpose of our parenting, doesn't it? We said it's to make disciples. There's another way of putting that, saying you use all of your influence as a parent by word, by example, to teach your children to love the Lord with their whole hearts, to follow him, to obey him. Now, I know that can be challenging. We hear from parents regularly, even parents that are very much on board with that. That's how they're parenting. But specific issues come up, specific challenges. And sometimes parents will get in touch and say, well, what do we do about this? Or do you have a resource to help me with that? Or uh, what do I need to know about fill in the blank to help my child navigate that well? And so I want to point you to just a couple of helpful resources. You know, one of the things we love to do at Ingleside is to partner with parents. And that includes equipping and resourcing parents in really practical ways. And so I wanna give you just a couple of resources that we have available. One is on our church website. If you go to ingleside.org and click on grow, and then under that, click on church and home. It'll take you to our church and home section of the website. And there's lots of good resources there. You'll find lists of books that are recommended by our next gen staff, divided up by season of life and some by different topics or issues. You'll find links to our virtual parenting conference we did during the pandemic that has workshops led by our staff and some other parents in our church. So just lots of good resources there. You'll find real practical tips for how to help your child come, grow, serve, and go, and how you can do that in the home. So I'd encourage you just to sort of explore that part of our website and take advantage of that. Or if you're a grandparent, maybe you want to point your adult children toward that as a help for them. The other resource I would direct you to is our bookstore right across the gathering area. Do you know there's a whole section called Church and Home? 
It has resources recommended by our next gen staff. There's another section, it's called parenting. It has lots of resources. So you can find whatever it is you're looking for. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Get your hands on some things to help you navigate those real practical issues as you exercise spiritual leadership in the home. A couple other things about spiritual leadership in the family. Write this in, number five. The committing to spiritual leadership is committing to leadership to sort of state the obvious. Uh, but I think it's important to just underscore that. This involves real leadership on your part as a parent. Why do I say that? Well, for one thing, you, you can't force your child to love Jesus and trust him and follow him. At some point, your child's gonna have to decide whom they're gonna serve. They can take everything you've taught them and everything they've learned and experienced over the years and at some point, they've gotta make that choice. So you can't guarantee that they'll follow Jesus, but you can guarantee that what they see in you as a parent is that Jesus is better than anything and everything else. You can ensure that they are exposed to biblical teaching, biblical truth, biblical community, biblical worship. You can ensure that they are seeing in you an example of someone who is following Jesus because you love him and you're experiencing the blessings that go with that. You can lead your children in that direction. You know, they're not going to start where you want them to finish, are they? They're not, as young children, going to have the spiritual maturity and all the biblical values and priorities and worldview that you want them to have. But you can lead them in that direction. In fact, I love how one parent put it to me. We were talking about this, and he's a parent I just really respect and admire a lot. He's raised some great kids. And we were talking about that, of how his kids got to be the way they are. And one of the things he said in that conversation was, he said, Justin, they may not start there, but you hope that they end there. You just got to commit to leadership in the home, spiritual leadership for the long haul. Even if you have adult children that aren't where you would want them to be spiritually, you keep exercising your influence as much as you possibly can. Continue to pray for them and know that where they are right now doesn't have to be the last chapter for them in their story. You commit to spiritual leadership, which involves actually leading in that direction. And trust the Lord to use that. One more thing about this type of spiritual leadership. Would you write it in? The committing to spiritual leadership will lead your children to a life of God-honoring holiness. And we just saw that committing to serving the Lord means a life of holiness for you. It means you're gonna be different from a lot of other people. You're gonna be different from culture. But if you take this next step of saying, for me and my family, that means you're leading your family in a direction of holiness. That means you're leading your children to a life that's going to be different in certain ways from some of their peers and from what they see and hear and experience in culture. And to be honest, I think this can be harder than a life of holiness for myself as a parent. I think when you know you are making decisions for your children that put them in tough situations, when you know you're making decisions that are gonna to lead to your child at times feeling a little left out, feeling a little different. 
man, that can be a tough place to put them in. It's a tough thing for a parent. But I'm convinced it's part of godly biblical parenting. In fact, I try to make it a regular practice to um, just talk to other godly parents that are a little further along in the parenting journey than I am and just try to pick their brains and learn from them. Uh, like recently, I was sitting with a, a couple. I just think the world of them, they've raised amazing kids. And uh, I said, look, I'm about to have a middle schooler. What do I need to know? He said, Justin, you were the middle school pastor. And I said, yeah, but I've never been a middle school parent. What do I need to know? Try to have those conversations regularly. And recently, uh, two of those separate conversations. I posed a question sort of like that. What am I going to need to know this next season? The first things two parents said was something along these lines. said, Justin, if you really take this seriously and apply biblical truth and lead your kids in that way, you need to be prepared to feel alone. And you need to be prepared for your kids to feel alone. The truth is we're not completely alone, are we? And I thank God for that. There are lots of families within our church family who are leading kids in just amazing biblical ways. I think it's one reason it's so important to have biblical community for ourselves and for our kids so they know they're not actually alone in following Jesus. But there will be some times, there'll be some circumstances and certain situations where you feel a little bit alone as a parent and your children feel a little bit alone because we're called to a different way of life. I think part of parenting then is preparing and training and equipping our kids for that. And recently Cassie and I were talking to one of our kids about an issue we know we're a little different than just what's most common in culture and we were wanting to prepare them for that. And so we didn't just tell them the decision where we've landed as a family. We spent time talking about some of the biblical principles that have guided our thinking and shaped our decision-making. And I shared some of what I've learned from other parents and some of the wisdom they've imparted. And we just, we were real honest with our child about that. And said, so look, given everything that we know from scripture and what we're trying to learn from other parents and their wisdom, we just really think this is best. And we know it's not what everybody's gonna choose. We know it's gonna make you a little different in some ways, but here's why we think that's actually good for you. We're making this choice because given everything we know, we believe this is most loving for you and it honors the Lord. It was an attempt to really prepare them for a life of holiness. I had a pastor and mentor when I was in Birmingham, a guy named Mike Satterfield. He modeled this really well. Uh, Mike told me that sometimes his son would come home from being around other kids at school or wherever else. And he would come home and in one way or another, he would ask this question, Dad, why aren't we more like that family? Sometimes it was worded this way, Dad, why don't we have, fill in the blank, what that family has? Dad, why don't we do what that family does? And whenever son would ask a question like that, he would walk him over to their family covenant that was printed and framed and hanging on a wall in their home. And he would read him the first line. First line of their family covenant said, the Satterfield family exists for the glory of God. He said, son, that's what determines how this family lives. And it's not that those other families were even wrong in some of the things they were doing. He was just saying, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, that's not our standard. We're not just doing what other families do. We exist for the glory of God. That's what will determine our priorities, our values, our decisions, how we lead you kids. It was a way of saying, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. 
So here's how I want to end. You'll notice one more point on your listening outline. I've intentionally left it blank. I don't have a word to give you to write there. I want you to fill it in with your own honest answer today. Given everything we've just seen in scripture, would you complete this statement? As for me and my house, we will serve. And you write in your answer today. I can tell you where I've landed. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I know there are lots of other families here that have landed in the same place. And I'm really thankful for that. I really am thankful that we're not alone in this, that a lot of us are leading our families in the same direction and we can encourage each other and learn from each other along the way. I'm really thankful for that. There may be others though that up to this point have made a different choice. Good news is it's not too late. By God's grace, you could say, man, starting today, some things are gonna be different in my family. Starting today, man, we're gonna serve the Lord. We're gonna fear him. We're gonna orient our lives around him from this day forward. And then you can know the blessing that comes with that. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge today that you and you alone are God. And therefore you and you alone are worthy of our worship. So Lord, I pray that we would respond appropriately by fearing you, serving you wholeheartedly. I pray that it would be true of our families as well. Lord, the parents who are here and listening, God, would you give us what we need to lead our families in that way. For all of us, would you help us to use the influence you give us to point others toward you. God, I pray that the result of that, the fruit would be just lots of strong, healthy families in this community that honor you. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.